the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track and grab yourself 40% off that first year subscription. Plenty of podcasts, tons of great articles, great app, personalize it with your favorite teams, your favorite leagues, and you'll have a dashboard of great articles at your fingertips every single morning when you wake up from all the best in The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash spot track get you started right now. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Wednesday evening. Final day of the Major League Baseball regular season. It's a plenty of baseball talk today. And uh, I do start with the NFL because it's been a minute since I've talked quarterbacks. It's been a minute since I've talked about some of the, uh, the hot takes being tossed around and what the finances actually say about those hot takes and where some things actually may be headed with certain teams in the, in the National Football League over the next couple of weeks. So a little football first, some baseball playoff stuff, some baseball trending stuff and some baseball player options to discuss right now because for a lot of teams it is the offseason starting tomorrow morning so that's the gamut for today and uh back soon with keith smith the nba back soon with cousin dan and plenty of major league baseball free agency stuff but uh it's a multi-sport effort here for the next couple of months that's just how how things work at spot track i hope you enjoy it and uh we'll be back this weekend with a big big major league baseball show been a minute since I talk quarterbacks, so let's talk quarterbacks. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Cooper Rush should be the long-term quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, even though some radio networks are probably doing that right now. Contractually speaking, there's a world where Dak Prescott's on a one-year contract here. Not, not through 2022, but through 2023. The guarantee structure of his deal was three years locked and loaded, and that fourth year is essentially an option. The 2024 season has 34 million cash in it. There's a roster bonus of 5 million that hits early in 2024, but none of the salary has any kind of bearing with an early vesting guarantee mechanism, which means that next year, the 31 million cash for 2023 could, may, probably won't be the final dollar that Dak sees from this contract. Is he going to start again this year? Most likely. That's injury-related. It's not contract-related. And yes, Cooper, Cush is extremely, Cooper Rush is extremely friendly in terms of the finances. Basically a minimum salary, a prorated minimum salary for the rest of this season and then an unrestricted free agent next year. Cooper Rush is a viable backup quarterback in this league, and there's a very good calling for that. And Dallas should consider themselves lucky to, that they have a guy that systematically can run that offense with or without Dak Prescott. He's a six-week quarterback. I don't think he's a 17-week quarterback. We're going to see some bumps in the road, maybe even starting this weekend. So I don't believe Dak Prescott's on the November 1st trade deadline block. And for now, there's no reason for me to say that he's on the, the spring de- trade deadline block either. Even though after 2022, we could be talking about a one-year $31 million guaranteed deal for Prescott. So... Look, if I'm dead wrong and Cooper Rush takes this team into the NFC Championship game, then we're talking Dak Prescott superseding Tony Romo, which happened because of Dak Prescott's play. Came out of nowhere, ended up being a real thing. I'm not going to poke too many holes in it because we've seen it happen before. But for now, Dak Prescott's going to be the quarterback. There's $31 million guaranteed next year. That's all I have to say, financially speaking. That's it. Is he tradable? Yes. There's a, tra- there's a world where next spring, next March, at the March 15th league year start, 
Dak Prescott's traded. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm just telling you the contract says it's possible. That's it. And there will be teams asking for that if Cooper Rush ends up playing the next 12, 15 weeks at the same kind of level that he's playing right now. And that defense and the rest of that team works as a unit to win 10, 12 ballgames. It's happened in Dallas before. It could be happening right now. I'm not going to make it a likely at this point. But the contract says two years guaranteed. And in next March, that means one year guaranteed. Kirk Cousins. A kind of similar situation. I think a lot of people put Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott in the same category. For a lot of reasons. We keep looking at stats. We keep looking at the numbers and the PFF grades. And Kirk Cousins just continues to be a viable option in this league. He's 11th according to Pro Football Focus right now. The Minnesota Vikings are a tenable team. I think they're an underachieving team in a lot of degrees, but they've had London. They've had a lot of different things kind of go there, I think, against the norm. So I just look at Cousins as a viable option. And he's, he's overpaid for being that, and he always has been. And kudos to him and kudos to his agent. But Kirk Cousins is fully guaranteed this year, and his $30 million next year is fully guaranteed. That's just the way of the world with Kirk Cousins. He's been living off of one, two-year fully guaranteed contracts since the franchise tag back in 2016. It's been six-plus years of guaranteed salary for Kirk Cousins. Not in a row, not in one contract, right? He's had to spread that over four different, five different iterations now. Two franchise tags, a free agent's contract, and then two extensions. And there's some void years tacked onto this one that's going to impact the Vikings cap in a couple of years here, possibly next year. Could Kirk Cousins be on the trade block this year? Yes. We could have Cousins at one year, 30 million fully guaranteed and Dak Prescott at one year, 31 million fully guaranteed dangling out there. Do I think it's likely for either? No. I think both are going to be working through this contract. Cousins will be getting to an expired contract after next year. Dak will have one more option year left after the, after next year. So similar, but a little bit unparalleled there. Again, though, do you have an, a better option? Is Cooper Rush really a better option in Dallas? Is any other option in Minnesota right now better? And will they be in a position to draft better next year? Probably not. So there's no reason for me to sit here and say that at 30 million, which by the way is 20 million, maybe soon to be 25 million less than the highest paid quarterback in football. Why isn't that a viable option for your team? It is. It is. He statistically can do it. Big game Kirk. We, we know all the narratives. We know how that works. But financially speaking, $30 million guaranteed next year doesn't scare me at all for the kind of production that Kirk Cousins can give you. So again, the contract makes it available to move on from him via trade. But again, like Dak, I don't consider it likely. Mitch Trubisky is not a backup quarterback again in, in the National Football League. He did so for Josh Allen last year, making... 2.5 million. And now he's making three times that as another backup quarterback. He got three, three and a half weeks to start. Kenny Pickett took over the job last week, kind of controversially, and he looked like a rookie. Made some great plays. You could see the youth, you could see the energy, and you could see the bad decision making as well. I expect a hell of a lot more of that because guess what? His first official start, week five at Buffalo. That's not exactly the best recipe for success. So I don't expect it to get better, but I understand what Pittsburgh's doing here. But they're doing it for the betterment of this franchise. They want to know right now if this guy can work through adversity, 
if that kind of energy can be turned into consistency, it's possible. Um, I think a lot of people liked this exact thing about him, that he was a little bit reckless, but had gunslinger mentality and was accurate as hell. So we may see some of that. They may start to build the offense around that. There's some weapons, right? I mean, the picking stuff, the Deontay Johnson stuff, the Farmworth stuff. There's some weapons, certainly Najee Harris. So I, I don't think that, obviously the offensive line has, always, has been a concern for three, four years in that, in that room. And, you know, he's going to be sitting on his butt a couple of times because of it. But decision-making is what the next couple of weeks are all about. So from Trubisky's standpoint, Mitchell Trubisky now, like I said, 6.2 million. There's no per gamers. It's all signing bonus and minimum, and minimum guaranteed salary. So he's going to make that 6.2 million no matter what. He's probably now going to miss out on all these playing time incentives. He needed 60% playing time to start the process at $1 million. It looks like he's not going to get to that number. So the 6.2 million will become his 2022 salary. And then next year, it's 8 million non-guaranteed cap and cash, uh, excuse me, cash, 10.6 million cap. My guess is he's released out of that, possibly signed back, possibly just extended into something more backup friendly if they want to keep him around, if he's willing to stay around, or does, you know, is he going to request a, a release out of this contract to go and try to find a starting gig somewhere else? Or is he tradable? Probably not. Probably not. That's probably giving him a little bit too much credit here. $6.2 million this year, probably not $8 million next year. And uh, we'll see what happens to Mr. Trubisky going forward here because it looks like his opportunity, barring injury or absolute disaster, has been completely torpedoed now. Geno Smith, speaking of pro football focus, here's your trivia question for the day. Did you know that Geno Smith is now the highest graded quarterback, according to pro football focus, through four weeks of football? It's possible. You know, it's not just an eye test stuff with them. They, they do their homework. And, you know, look, this isn't the gospel or the Bible. There's a lot of flaws. But Geno Smith, one. Josh Allen, two. Patrick Mahomes, three. Jalen Hurts, four. Which one of these things does not look like the others? Well, Geno Smith's been pretty damn efficient. Pretty damn efficient. He's running the ball. He's the kind of prototypical quarterback that you want right now in the game, that many teams want. Some teams are trying to stick old school and pocket quarterbacks. But Geno can do a little bit of everything. And if he can be accurate and he's got wide receivers that can find their way open, which he does, there's a chance. I didn't think the defense was going to hold up in Seattle. I still don't think it will. So I don't believe this is going to translate into a hell of a lot of wins. And I, by the way, I still think they should be the worst team in football right now. Want to be the worst team in football for Bryce Young, for CJ Stroud, for one of these quarterbacks that can truly become the long-term option. But maybe that's Geno Smith. And maybe I'm just not reading enough and understanding enough about what this system is doing with Pete Carroll, this new offensive coordinator, and, and maybe a, a grown-up version of Geno Smith, something we didn't see in New York, certainly haven't seen as he's been a backup and a practice squad player for a couple of years now. But he has arrived in 2022, and four, a four-week sample is at least something to consider. Can it be 16, 17 weeks? Remains to be seen, but it's a hell of a start. And I'm not sure the roster can sustain this kind of success as a whole. But if he can prove that this version of Geno Smith is sustainable, even for 10 weeks, A, he'll lock in the, the QB2 role or the QB1 until the, the next quarterback in Seattle is ready. And or he'll be, he'll be the next Mitch Trubisky, right? Somebody's going to take a chance on him if Seattle throws him to the curb and try to do this again and try to fit him into a system that might be more perfect for him because now he's shown the skill set that everybody kind of thought he could do 
a bunch of years back in New York. So it's good to see. It's good to see quarterbacks get revived like this. Many of them don't get these kind of second or third chances. And to see him at the top of this PFF list is crazy, but I get it. I really do get it. There are, there's a lot of smart people with analytics and with X's and O's being able to figure out the best version forward for the quarterback, which is now obviously the dominant position. So good for Geno Smith. Let's see how long this can be sustainable. And uh, I think both he and Cooper Rush may get a wake-up call here sooner rather than later. But for now, let's enjoy that ride. Baker Mayfield is not enjoying his ride right now. And in fact, I don't think that ride's going to last much longer. It appears that he is pulling back into the home base and that he will be parked sooner rather than later here. Will that be for Sam Darnold? Will that be for, you know, another option that they, they might have to bring in just to kind of round this season out? Or are they just going to let Baker Mayfield be thrown to the fire here? And we'll see what happens after that. I mean, he's got some incentives built into this thing to make back some of the money that he forfeited and literally did give up. I mean, he had an $18.8 million salary at one point. He's now got about 15.3 of that on the books. So there's three and a half million hanging out there that really I'm not sure he's ever going to get. He gave it up. There's offset language in this 4.8 4 million. So I guess if he could be moved out or, or if he's outright released, things could get a little bit more interesting. But for all intents, I think he's a $4.8 million backup quarterback within the next couple of weeks, maybe at the Carolina bye week. Sam Darnold's still not ready yet, but if and when he's ready, do they split the role? Does it go back to Darnold for a couple of weeks and he, and he gets a chance to at least resurrect this thing? Matt Rule's playing for his life right now. I mean, they are, they are not going to be a team that's out there tanking. They spent a lot of money. They've extended a bunch of their own recently. There is an offensive line with some semblance there, even though they're not playing like it. And, uh, and Baker's just, he's, he's bottom Baker right now. The, the guy that we, we were hoping to see, the gunslinger, the reckless player, the guy who could extend plays even though he wasn't you know, tall enough to be in this league, air quotes, not that guy. It seems like he lacks confidence, seems like he doesn't have it, uh, this offense figured out. Maybe there's a, a coaching issue there as well. But unrestricted free agency may actually be earlier than next March for Baker Mayfield if things continue this way. And finally, four weeks into the NFL season, it's kind of the quarter point, right? There's, a, there's an odd number of games now, so I can't give you that exact number. But we run a valuation process every single week based on some advanced metrics, some fantasy metrics, things like that. And we are able to provide our best version of the best value NFL players, NFL roster at any given point in time. So through four weeks uh, and updated this morning, the best value quarterback. Now I was watching this closely for a couple of weeks here as we ramped up to week four and it was pretty handedly Jalen Hurts. And the fact that it's no longer Jalen Hurts a, shocked me, and I went and checked the math, and I understand things a little bit more now, but it's Lamar Jackson, all right? And Lamar Jackson is still working off his rookie average salary. So the fact that he's playing on the fifth-year option right now is a little bit of, of a jaded conversation because we're still treating this as the rookie contract. But basically what that means is Lamar's rookie contract versus Jalen Hurts' rookie contract, it's still Lamar right now. Lamar is still producing, even though the Ws aren't there as they are for Hurts. Lamar is still producing as that Otani-type figure in this league. He is just a step better in almost all categories. And yeah, I know he threw a pick in the end zone <laughs> with the game on the line. But he just does what he does. Now, are we going to start looking at some of his stuff as we do Kirk Cousins, where maybe there's, 
there's a lot of, you know, loaded stats or flat stats that really don't translate to certain things. Whereas there's efficiencies with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady that are just off the charts. They don't need to go 50 attempts at times because they can get 35 excellent attempts, right? There's a grading scale on those. Maybe Lamar's trying to do a little too much. And by, that, by doing that, he has vaulted himself into this conversation, this best value conversation where Jalen Hurts is running the hell out of the ball, which could come back to haunt him, knock on wood. But I think both are in this conversation right now. And that's, that's what I wanted to take away from this. The fact that Lamar has jumped past Hurts shocked me. But to me, that's still Jalen Hurts saying, I have arrived. Because we know Lamar has arrived. MVP, this is year five. We know that contract's coming at probably around $50 million a year. $200 million guaranteed. So we know he's here. Now, he doesn't have that Super Bowl ring. There's Jalen Hurts, of course. But I think that the fact that Hurts is now connected in this conversation is stock way up Jalen Hurts. That's not a hot take with a 4-0 team right now. But these two guys are our two best values at the quarterback position. If we go down the list, Amon Ross St. Brown, obviously. Mark Andrews, Lamar's tight end, right, at $14 million a year. What he's doing, he's the target. He's the Cooper Cup of this Baltimore Ravens offense because, yeah, DeVernier's going to get some shots. Bateman's going to get some shots. But Andrews is the go-to option, as Kelsey is in, in Kansas City and as a couple more tight ends are across the league right now. There's a lot to like on the offensive line. Take a look at that when you get a chance. Defensively, Greg Rousseau in Buffalo has really kind of uh, woken up with Vaughn Miller on his opposite bookend, as we expected that to happen. Quinton Williams with the Jets. Uh, we knew this was coming. He just needed a little bit more time and a little better roster around him. He has it. That Jets defense is going to win some ball games for them. And if Zach Wilson can do what he did last week, again, that could be a 500 team, maybe not this year, but by next year. And Quinton Williams needs a contract. He's heading toward that fifth-year option next season. He is well on his way now to earning that, that next extension with the Jets. Um, and that's, I think, a big, big step forward for that team. I don't think they're, they were in a position to extend anybody this time in March, right? And heading towards next March now, there may be a couple of options in that regard. So they, I think they did much better work than we assumed over the offseason, not just with those draft picks, but also in some of the development. Some of the coaching stuff has come together a little bit, and I have, I'm, a, I'm a little bit bullish on that team. No question about it. Jordan Poyer's on this list. Best value, strong safety in football. He's grabbing balls out of the air. He's got three picks, four picks now, and uh, a couple of game-time decision stuff as well. We know he restructured. We know he built in $2 million of bonuses, and we know he's going to be a free agent next year. So he has a lot, a lot to play for this year, maybe more to play for next year. He and Micah Hyde, both in the early 30s in Buffalo. And uh, Micah Hyde will be at a contract year next year. Jordan Poyer set for free agency after this season. Let's talk some baseball. The 2022 postseason is set. I've got the bracket in front of me. If you haven't seen it yet, there are four matchups heading into this week and starting Friday, right? We've got wildcard matchups with the Rays and the Guardians, the Mariners and the Blue Jays, the Padres and the Mets, and the Phillies and the Cardinals. As I like to do every year at this time of year, I'm going to take a quick look at where those teams and the four bi-week teams lay in terms of 2022 payrolls. I talked about this a little bit in the past couple of episodes that it's very top-heavy. Many of the top 10 payrolls have made the postseason. So I can tell you right now, it's one, two, three, four, five, eight, and nine. 
all made the postseason in some capacity. But the first matchup, Tampa Bay versus Cleveland, is the all-time money ball matchup. I'm not sure we've had these two ranked payrolls in the postseason in Major League Baseball ever. Now, I can't run these kind of, that kind of historical data, unfortunately, because I only started this thing 15 years ago, and I've only got about 11 years of Major League Baseball data that I really trust right now. So I can tell you what I know off the top of my head. I'm pretty confident that the 25th payroll versus the 28th payroll in the postseason is pretty historic stuff. So, uh, And by the way, they're two excellent teams, two very similar teams. Tampa Bay a little bit more banged up right now, and I bet you they wish they had another pitcher or two to kind of throw at Cleveland right now. But Cleveland is firing at all cylinders. They, they can't stop winning ball games. They peaked at the absolute right time. And everything about them, including their experienced coach in Francona, has to give them the nod. They're the three seed with Tampa Bay being the six seed. The winner gets the Yankees. So what we're talking about here are, are, the, are 25th and 28th payrolls about to match up with the number three in the Yankees. That's where we're headed here. So there's plenty to talk about, plenty of uh, headlines that write themselves there. But if you're a betting person, that Cleveland Guardians team is red hot right now for a lot of reasons. They play small ball. They don't hit home runs, as I talked about last episode. They're near the bottom of the list in home runs. So if that's what it's going to take, then they're not your team. But plenty to like there for two bottom-of-the-barrel play- payrolls in Major League Baseball. The Mariners versus Blue Jays. Mariners are 21st, so they become the third team, 20 or higher payroll to make the postseason. Now, yes, it's an expanded postseason, but they're the five seed. You know, they didn't just sneak in. They did, they did what they had to do. And they snuck ahead of Tampa Bay for that second wild card spot. And they can play. They are peaking at the right time as well. Maybe not as grandioso. You know, Julio Rodriguez is, is still dealing with that back, even though he's back in the lineup. I think some of the pitching staff has trailed off just a little bit, just a bit. I'm not, I'm not trashing them here. But I look at them against the 4C Toronto, who carry the 11th payroll in baseball. And I think to them, myself, they haven't even yet arrived. I think they had a bad year. Toronto. I think the Yankees punched him in the mouth early. A couple of those other AL teams really got after him, the Astros being another. And, and they sunk, sunk to low, low levels at some point in the season, to the point where I didn't think they were going to be playoff bound. They, re, they did rebound. They are here. They're the four seed in the wild card. And I think they're a year away. I think they're a year away. I'd give Seattle the advantage here, even though they're the lower paid team. And I think we're going to see Toronto become definitely a top 10 payroll, possibly a top five payroll by next year. Whether that's Flat Guerrero, whether that's a couple of pitchers they acquire or pay in-house, I think they realize that their window is now here, but I don't think they've arrived yet. And I think that's coming, A, both with the finances and with the roster construction this offseason. So I think anything they can do right now is gravy. You know, the Astros would be the round two matchup. That's just an absolute buzzsaw, as we've talked about. And uh, as I'll mention again here in a second. But I'm not ready to buy into Toronto just yet because, quite frankly, they haven't bought into themselves, literally speaking. But this winter, I believe that changes. In the National League wildcard, the Phillies with the fourth highest payroll matched up with the Cardinals, the 12th payroll. You know, the Cardinals are going to have the heartstrings. That's the Pujols, Wainwright, Molina situation that none of us really want to end, even though as a Mets fan, the Cardinals have been an absolute bane in my existence for a long time now. Uh, 
And and by the way, you know, I'd be okay seeing the Phillies get knocked out as a Mets fan. So there you go. Uh, I'm pro Cardinals here. They're the three seed to the Phillies six seed. Cardinals have the 12th payroll in baseball, and that's right about right for them. They they love to linger right outside that top 10, bring some guys in on, you know, middle of the road free agent contracts like Steven Matz did and John Gray did at one point. That's just where they like to live. And they've extended one of their uh, pitchers through the next two seasons in Gallegos. They're a shortstop away from being excellent. You know, they've got Arenado figured out. They've got the next catcher already in-house. The pitching staff looks good. The closers constantly get hurt for some reason, but they'll figure that out down the stretch as well. Again, I'm not sure this team can can barrel through Philly and Atlanta and then get through the NLCS, but I'm rooting for them. There's a lot to love about the uh, the exit strategy that Pujols has given us. This swan song has been just about as good as asked for. Never saw it coming. The fifth payroll Padres face my number one payroll Mets in the wild card starting Friday night. Boy, superstars all over the place with Machado and Soto and Alonzo and Lindor and DeGrom and Scherzer. Although I've heard that DeGrom may miss this series because he is still ailing and they want to give him a full rest. And I think that's probably not the best strategy, but we'll see. The Padres have been inconsistent. Let's put it that way. I've got a list here coming soon of the the top record since the All-Star game in Major League Baseball, and San Diego is not on the top 10. So not where you want to be. I think they're, they're bouncing up and down, even though they had a gigantic trade deadline. Maybe this is just what Soto's been waiting for, right? He wants the spotlight on him. He wants the prime time. The Mets stuff is going to be big. Obviously, they know the payroll situation. They know what they're getting themselves into here. And this is the time where Soto makes his money. He knows it. So maybe some of those pitchers, the pitching staff is loaded with experience in terms of San Diego. And uh, we'll certainly see this one. This is going to be one of the more watchable series in this wildcard weekend, no question about it. And then your four buys, right? We've got Houston and the AL. They're carrying the ninth highest payroll. The Yankees, as I mentioned, are the third. The Braves are eighth and the Dodgers are second. So all four of your top two seeds had top nine payrolls in Major League Baseball. Not an accident. We say it every year. It is very, very rare that a team like Tampa Bay, even though they get in every year, is in the position of power, which the Yankees now are and the Astros now are in the American League. So your top four seeds right now are primed, they're paid, they're experienced. There's last year's champion there. There's the champion from two years ago there. And the Astros who won it not too long ago, right in 2019, they're there as well. So plenty of uh, big towers to get through here if you are a wildcard team looking up. But we'll see what happens. Again, top-heavy in terms of pay and your all-time Moneyball matchup in Rays versus Guardians starting this weekend. All right, I alluded to it a little bit, but, but let's break down the top 10 best records in baseball since the All-Star game. No surprise, it's the Dodgers 51-21 and 21 heading into the postseason. Do they even need the break? Probably not, but we'll see if that affects them in any way. Same goes for the Astros, 47-24, and 24, just insane numbers. Third on the list, the Cleveland Guardians, 46 and 26, actually 47 after today's effort. Just a monster stretch. They basically stuck, stood neck and neck with Houston down the stretch in the American League. And uh, they belong in this three seed. There's no question about it. The Braves are knocked off my Mets, barely. 45 and 22 down the stretch. Mets are right there with them, 43 and 26. So, you know, I don't think the Mets as so much choked as they played great baseball and the Braves played insane baseball because this was not the Braves team. 
this was not even a semblance of the Braves team the first half of the season. They completely flipped the switch. I don't think it was on purpose, right? They weren't just taking time off. Sure, maybe there was a World Series hangover that happens in, in most of these championship situations. But I just think they, uh, they woke the hell up. Acuna got really, really healthy, even though he's still about 80% out there. And like I said in the last show, this is the team I'd put my money on for all those reasons. They did it last year. They did it without Acuna last year. I think they're even better with Spencer Strider, this stud prospect pitcher, with some of these other prospects, right? Michael Harris has arrived officially in, as the mainstay center fielder for this roster. And there's just home runs all over the place with Olsen, with uh, just, uh, you know, all over this lineup. So that's my money right there. But those are your top five best records since the All-Star game. And uh, it's not an accident that we're seeing plenty of uh, number one, two, or three seeds here down the stretch. All right, last baseball discussion, because for a lot of teams, none of which I just mentioned, it is the offseason. Today was the last day of the regular season. Tomorrow starts day one of what the hell do we do now? And I think first and foremost, many of these teams at least have an understanding, but probably will start to reach out to some of these players that have options, club options, mutual options, team options, player options. What do we do now? What, what, what's, our, what, what's our at least starting point tax payroll or starting point cash payroll, if I'm one of the owners that actually matters, what has to happen if I'm Arizona with Ian Kennedy's $4 million bonus? Charlie Morton has already been favored upon with the Braves. You know, no surprise there. The Braves are ahead of the curve, right? They're doing things in off-season mode, even though they're the number two seed in Major League Baseball. So we'll see what happens with some of these decisions. Here's just some of the, the notable ones out there. I'm going to start with my Mets. Because I'm not even playing Homer when I talk about them now, and I'm going to be talking about them quite a bit. A, top payroll this year. B, outstanding year, 101 wins. And C, tons of options slash free agents that could completely change the face of this team and, in turn, change the face of other teams. Jacob DeGrom being the, the absolute front runner here. There's a $30.5 million player option. He has already said, I'm, I'm opting out. I'm going to get myself into a new contract that at least covers me maybe for the rest of my career. But if not, if it's a new team and he wants to go short term, he certainly can do that. But I think there's a, there's a 51% chance that Jacob DeGrom is playing for a team not named the New York Mets next April. I, I just have that kind of feeling. I, I have that feeling around the Mets organization, from the people that are talking, from some of the, some of the things you're starting to see. It seems like this is not just money motivated, because if it was, the new Mets owner could certainly take care of that and would take care of that, in my opinion. I believe this is a player-driven situation, that he's going to opt out. He wants to test a couple of teams' markets and see where that value comes in and see what kind of security he can get. And, you know, that's going to break my heart, but I understand it. That's business 101 for him. And he was a late bloomer. So this is not a guy that is trying to triple dip on his contract situation. He's in his big contract right now, and he certainly deserves another one. That's just what Hall of Famers deserve and get. But there, there's been a ton of injury stuff, a ton. And it's not Tommy John that can be fixed, you know, like so many have, properly rehabbed and come back to full. It's back. It's oblique. It's weird stuff. So shoulder, you know. So there's a, there is some concern, certainly with me, and I think certainly with all the organizations thinking about $45 million a year for Jacob DeGrom or whatever it's going to be. I, I assume it'll be aligned with Max Scherzer's 43 and change. So 
he, he's at the top of this list. And by the way, 1A is Justin Verlander, who's had a ridiculous recovery from injury season. I mean, he and DeGrom, I believe half the times they went out there this year for the second half of the season, put up no-hit baseball. And in some cases, perfect games for five, six innings. And you can toss Scherzer into this conversation as well. But that's the level that they are. They're not just holding their own at 36 years old or at 39 years old, respectively here. They're dominating the game. They're dominating excellent hitting right now. And I don't think either of them are 100%. So to say that these guys aren't worth the money at their age is just incorrect because it's just a different phase of baseball. We've got guys who are able to recover faster, play longer, and if you're a pitcher and not just the guy going out there throwing 100, 102, 101, even though that has been DeGrom's style for a couple of years here, there's sustainability. I'd put Verlander maybe a little ahead of DeGrom because Verlander has shown durability in recovering from this past injury. Now, he's got a $25 million player option next year. That seems low. But if that's where he wants to be and he thinks that he's going to be done after this year, at 40 years old, after next year, excuse me, he may just decide to opt in and say, it's plenty of money. I've made a lot of money. My wife's made a lot of money. Let's get this thing done. I'll take care of the team a little bit here and probably take 10 to 15 million less than I, I value, calculate, you know, calculate for. And let's just run it back because this is still one of the best teams in all of baseball. And he's a major factor why. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm undecided on Verlander in terms of that $25 million, even though I'm fully positive Jacob DeGrom punts on his 30 year. So there's your top two options, decisions coming up here in the next couple of months. If we switch over to the bats, it's not as sexy. I mean, Nolan Arenado, he said it a million times that he won't opt out. I don't know. I, I, I still don't know. I mean, what happens if Aaron Judge gets $45 million a year? What happens if Rafael Devers gets $35 million a year? What happens if Trey Turner gets $32 million a year? What happens if three other players go north of $30 million and Arenado's sitting at 29 and he's not 35 years old, he's 31, and he's playing for a contending team in St. Louis? Does he simply just say, and look, I understand that the Rockies are paying much of his contract, so it, be- it benefits his team massively for him to stay in this contract from a tax perspective, from a cash perspective, blah, blah. So I do believe he's going to opt in and just ride this thing out through age 36 and see where it goes from there. But does he deserve more than this? Yes. A, Colorado should never have done this contract. They didn't want to keep him long-term anyway. They should have let a bigger market team value and essentially pay Nolan Arenado. Is he leaving some money on the table right now? Probably, but my guess is he's loving where he is. Why wouldn't he? And that team is going to fill in the blanks properly to make sure that winning fills in the blanks of the 8 to $9 million per year he probably could be making more. Other position players that have option decisions that we at least faintly care about Carlos Correa and the Minnesota Twins, it sure sounds like he's opting out, which makes this a one-year $35.1 million contract for Correa and, and agent Scott Boris. 
He'll be opting out of two more years and, you know, essentially 70 million. Can he go and get 35 million a year on an eight year contract? Maybe. He had a really sneaky good year, especially in terms of the advanced analytics stuff. The, the Twins just fell off a cliff for three months. I don't know that Correa can get 35 a year. The numbers say a little bit otherwise, calculation-wise. And logic says if he's going long-term, it's going to be for a lower AAV just to help from a tax perspective. So let's just say he ends up taking the contract that the Astros originally offered him, right? Which is about eight for 240, 30 a year. I think he can still get that. I think he will still get that. I think there are teams like the Cardinals, by the way, or the Phillies, that could walk themselves right into Carlos Correa this year, and they become immediate contenders. Immediate. So he'll be a big deal. It sounds like, I mean, he's kind of saying all the right things, but it sure sounds like the plan with Boris was, let's at least give this one year in Minnesota, a team I don't really want to be at, but I'm happy to win with them. And the fact that they're not winning, and I think they're going to have to blow a lot of things up now, probably is the nail in the coffin for this contract. And he'll be back on the open market with plenty, plenty of suitors. But I believe he'll go back to a contender, maybe at around $30 billion a year. And let's do one more. Xander Bogarts, a shortstop of the Boston Red Sox, who are the biggest question mark, in my opinion, this entire offseason. Yeah, the Yankees with Judge, and are the Giants going to buy? And what happens with the Angels with Trout and Otani? Huge question. But Boston could be, Boston was bad with good players. Now what happens to those good players with, on what I believe will still be a bad team? J.D. Martinez is going to walk. Nathan Avaldi is going to walk. Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers are sitting there. Devers has one more year of arbitration. He's ready for $300 million. I mean, he's an MVP candidate basically three years in a row. Xander Bogarts is in that second tier of shortstops. He's the Javi Baez. He's the Trevor Story, whom Boston signed for, for five more seasons. I think Xander goes out. Um, I think he's going to opt out of this thing. There's four years, $80 million left, so he can make $20 million a year for the next four years. That's essentially what the Baez contract is in Detroit. And, and to me, that's the question here for, for Xander Bogarts, and it comes down to winning. You know, do you want to put yourself in a position to make a little bit more money? So, so Javi Baez is getting 23 and change a year for the next five years in Detroit or TBD, right? Do you want to opt out, try to get yourself in the 25 million per year conversation, but do you have to go to a team that's, you know, maybe not rebuilding, but it's trying to piece it together? You know, is it Baltimore? Is it somebody like that? Somebody who's fringe worthy? Or... Do you trust Boston enough to get this thing back on the, on the tracks, even though Baltimore's better, Tampa Bay's Tampa Bay still, the Yankees are back, and Toronto, like I said, could be all in here, completely all in, and maybe contending for this division, especially if Aaron Judge leaves the Yankees next season. I'm not confident in Boston going from zero to 100 in the next three years, and I wouldn't be if I were Xander Bogertz. And, I, and by the way, same conversation with Raviel Devers. So even though I'm probably not put, giving, giving myself much of a raise over the 80 million, now I'm probably getting 120, 150 out of the total contract. I still think I'm punting on the 80 million. I'm punting on the four years, 80 million. I'm testing that market, even though my agent's probably doing that right now for me anyway. And I'm going to find some greener grass, maybe for not, not much more money. So I, I like this situation quite a bit. 
I hate to see the Red Sox flailing like this, but I believe that they've backed themselves into a corner, especially on the, on the mound, to the point of where these big-time position players are just going to have to walk away. And Devers, with a trade request, might be next, by the way. Okay. We're going to have a big Major League Baseball free agent session coming soon, probably a video-slash-audio session with Cousin Dan. We've got big-time analysis coming down with that. I'll, pr- I'll bring in some people from uh, some teams. From some of the networks, we'll talk quite a bit about what could be just an awesome offseason, just a great winter with Otani and, and Judge and Verlander and DeGrom and Brandon Nimmo and Edwin Diaz, who I didn't even mention for the Mets. Just across the board, there's big, big stars, top of the position stars, you know, MVPs, batting title guys sitting at the top of this list right now that could be available. And that's not even talking about trade candidates like Devers and things like that. So, Plenty to get to. It'll be a lot of baseball soon. And by the way, Keith Smith will be back next week for us. And uh, I will make sure to get him on this show to preview the NBA season. What happened this offseason? What are we expecting during the season? And what does next offseason look like in the NBA? That's coming soon with Keith Smith. Good to have him back in the fold for the upcoming NBA season. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spotlight Podcast. 